Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element wealth studios guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music as we kick off a brand new week here rhino howdy howdy well so much going on in the world of sports we'll start with the lsu tigers have claimed the Women's Basketball National Championship, D1. That was a a bit unexpected, I think, by many. Thought Iowa would cruise through that thing, huh? Well, I mean, while Iowa is not a one-woman team, it certainly seems like one particular player has been getting all the attention. And usually, especially in college basketball, you can have that one superstar carry you a long ways, but it's really difficult to have them carry you all the way to a title. Yeah. One person team, by the way. Can't say one woman. Of you don't know. <laughs> oh, that's so insane, is it not? <laughs> Before I leave that subject, I think it's Bud Light who has hired a transgender spokesperson. Is that correct? Yeah, the weird guy that's been living his authentic life as a little girl for the last year. (laughs) Got a letter from the vice president celebrating a year as a little girl (laughs) is now a face for Bud Light. Oh, gosh. And right there at the end of, was it Women's Month last month or something like that, we had to include a couple who identify as women among the... uh, recipients that were honored. And then tonight, we've got the men's national championship. I got a question for you on that. Who the hell's playing? (laughs) Uh, The Aztecs and the Huskies. Is SDSU the Aztecs? I know it's San Diego State. (laughs) Who? And UConn. (laughs) UConn's at least kind of a basketball team. Oh, that's true. Or school. I guess they're all teams. but That's right. What happened to the OSEC in basketball this year? Wasn't that hot, apparently. Didn't fare too well. But, by far, the biggest sports news is that it is Masters Week. twenty twenty. going to say the Australian Grand Prix. Negative. That'd be for you. <laughs> I was up late Saturday night, early Sunday morning watching that craziness. 
Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, when you Give have an update. when you have a driver, one of the top drivers, racing for Ferrari that goes out on the first lap, doesn't even complete a lap. Yeah. And then you get through the whole race. Almost. There's 58 laps in the race. You get to, like, lap 54, 55, and you have another red flag, which means they stop the race and start it again. Jeez. So you have this two-lap race to the finish that winds up being the most probably the most expensive restart in racing history because you had five or six different multi-billion-dollar cars in the wall. It was insanity. <laughs> well, the right of spring, as we golfers call it, it is the Masters 2023 from the Augusta National Golf Club, Augusta, Georgia. The famed Amen Corner will be in focus. I've been to one Masters. That was 1990 and 7. Tiger Woods captured his first green jacket. Got to see the great Tiger Woods. Playing there at Augusta. What a blast that was, man. That is awesome. You can't believe it, how incredibly pure that place is. Unbelievable. I haven't checked the weather for Augusta, but I know here the forecast for like the next 50 or so days is rain. I'm exaggerating, but throughout the week, we've got a chance of rain, right? Every day. Yeah, there's a slight chance for severe weather in the Magnolia State today, and then you get towards the weekend, it seems like it's a 50-50 shot of the wet stuff just about every day. And we've got Mike Wade with FEMA coming on the program in the next segment to give us an update on the federal government's efforts from a disaster relief perspective here just a little over a week from the devastating tornadoes that ripped through Rolling Fork, the Delta, over towards Amory. And then another round uh, moved through the Magnolia State again Friday, right? DeSoto County, Pontotoc, Tupelo. Saw the Cooper Tire Factory in South Tupelo. Some photos of that on social media. I think it's out of commission for a while. We heard uh, the interview with Mayor Todd Jordan. An update on that. Don't know about fatalities. Haven't heard a lot about that. Hadn't checked it. But I believe there was one life lost in Pontotoc, and there was another suspected life lost to the tornadic activity in Guntown. But come to find out, I believe that individual had had a heart attack and crashed, and then the tornado happened, and they found him in the vehicle crashed, assuming it was tornadic. But in fact, it was just a medical emergency that went wrong. Got it. Uh, so, so thankfully, far fewer fatalities with this round of storms than the last one. Yeah, and it was predicted to be really serious, we thought, and severe in DeSoto County, right? I think before we went off the air Friday, didn't you report that there was a, like a four and five chance or some high probability? Yeah, they were pointing out probabilities that there would be at least an EF2 yeah. Tornado within that storm of 90% or greater. Gosh. Man, well, let's hope and pray to the good Lord that we are spared any severe weather. It is Holy Week as well. Easter Sunday approaches. Good Friday, Holy Week, Palm Sunday, yesterday. We, uh, we had the traditional Palm Sunday procession 
at uh, prior to Mass at my church as we proceeded into uh, the church itself, and then I uh, had to palm uh, Sunday right. Uh, of course, that means we're coming up with uh, Easter. This is the week, the Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ on Friday, and then Easter Sunday when Christ uh, rises from the dead. That's on tap this week. So a lot of stuff going on. Politics, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson throws his hat into the 2024 presidential ring. It sure sounds to me like former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie Looks like he's edging closer towards announcing his candidacy for president. And then tomorrow, former President Donald J. Trump will be arraigned. And he has already announced his intention to deliver remarks post-arraignment. Reports I've seen suggest that the arraignment won't take half an hour. Uh, We'll see what comes of that. Donald Trump did raise $4 bucks within like 48 hours or so, or 24 hours after he was indicted last week, somewhat unexpectedly. I don't think it was expected. Well, it was expected the week prior. Didn't happen. And then you had the, the news come out that the grand jury was planning to take a month break that was already scheduled. So you're thinking, well, if they didn't do it when they said they would, and they're planning on taking a month off, are they going to get it done? Yeah. <sighs> Don't know. But they did. Yeah. Uh, with respect to my pick, I've got a question here uh, from a friend. My pick to win the Masters. I got to think about that. I think the field is going to be very competitive. It's always fun. Lord, I could even tell you who's playing. Is VJ Sting Sting still playing? <laughs> Negative. <laughs> I did get to watch him in his prime in '97 when I was there, and I got to tell you, he hits the ball. He's I mean, good. His, his ball striking ability was incredible. Watching him hit, and I had a, the opportunity to be fairly close to him a few times. Uh, in the gallery while he was playing. Uh, just the sound, it's that old sound of that ball coming off his club. Unbelievable. I mean, straight as a string. But when he got that flat stick in his hand on the greens, a little shaky. That's what held him back, I think, from winning. Because as far as tee to green, as they say, as good as there ever has been. But when he got on the green, he... Um, he left a little to be desired. What a fantastic guy he is, too, a person. That's my pick for the Masters. VJ. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, don't think that's going to happen. I bet I can get pretty good odds on that. <laughs> We're going to step aside for a break right here. We've got Mike Wade with FEMA coming in next. At 11.05, Gordon Fellows, president of the Mississippi Bankers Association. Plenty to talk about there. Stay with us. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. Midday Super Talk Mississippi. We are in the Element Wealth Studios. Joining us now, Mike Wade, Media Relations Specialist, Public Information Officer for the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Mike, thanks for coming in today. Thanks for inviting me. So uh, tell us the latest with respect to FEMA's uh, disaster assistance here in Mississippi in the wake of these tornadoes that ripped through the state. Well, one of the most important things that are happening today is we are opening uh, four disaster recovery centers in the four for the six affected counties, uh, meaning Carroll, Humphrey, Monroe, and Sharkey. They opened at 7 o'clock this morning. They'll be open until 7 o'clock at night, uh, Monday through Saturday, and from 9 to 1 on Sunday. What sort of services do they provide? Well, uh, we have our uh, an individual assistant specialist there that can help them through the process, uh, answer their questions, update their uh, application if it needs to be updated. Uh, we have a small business administration in there, which is our federal partner that help people with low interest loans uh, to really get them back on their road to recovery, as well as our hazard mitigation people that will help them uh, rebuild. Uh, better and stronger and, and at least let them look at some alternatives for protection. What have the FEMA teams been doing uh, since the tornadoes moved through? Well, uh, we have our disaster survivor assistance teams that have been out in all the communities uh, going door to door, and their purpose is to uh, answer questions, uh, register people if they haven't been, if they haven't registered, if they need to, and update uh, their case file if it needs to be updated. And what's important about them is that, um, they are dressed in FEMA attire. They all have federal IDs. So, and I would caution anybody that if they say they're from FEMA, they should ask them for their for their federal ID card, hmm. uh, just because they if they say. But we look at it real close. The other thing that we other people that are out in the community or our inspectors that are inspecting the damages when people do report damages to their home or to their home. So. Uh, they are contractors, and they do not wear FEMA attire, hmm. but they have a federal contractor's ID badge. Okay. And um, typically they will call. They set up. They make an appointment. They just don't show up out of the clear blue. Yeah. So they will call, and one of the important things is that when they call, if they leave you, and if you're like me, you see a phone number you don't recognize, you normally don't answer the phone. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, sure. So if they leave a message and leave their contact name and their phone number, we you, you definitely need to call them back so that they can make an appointment to come out and inspect your loss. What uh, What is the number of uh, FEMA staff that have been in Mississippi since the tornadoes a little over a week o- ago? Over 300. Over 300. Okay. Spread amongst these counties at this Correct. point? Okay. Correct. It, the president, of course, visited uh, Friday and um, it was on the ground in the area. Did he announce anything that would change FEMA's role? No. Um, one thing he did announce was the fact that uh, uh, that he authorized 100 percent uh, reimbursement to the state and municipalities in reference to their debris collection as well as their emergency protective measures, which are overtime signs and uh, things like that to, to help the community prepare uh, prior to the storm and for 30 days after. 
Have you personally been uh, on the ground, on the scene? Yet? Yes, I was over in Starkey yesterday. Uh, they have, uh, from what I'm being told and what I saw yesterday, they have made tremendous progress in opening up the streets. There's a lot of debris stacked up yeah. along the roadways, but uh, they're they're making great progress. And um, with all of the volunteer agencies that have been out there, uh, and there were bunches of them out there yesterday helping the residents of, of Starkey. Hmm. And that's one thing that people need to understand. That this is a whole whole community type of effort. It's not just the federal government or the state government or the local government. The nonprofits are here before anything happens, and they'll be here long after we're gone. And that was another question I was uh, that made me think about that is how long will FEMA be around? Like these facilities you're just uh, opening up today, how long will they be? Well, uh, we'll be here as long as the need is there. Okay. Uh, it's like anything else, uh, particularly with the disaster recovery centers. As the need winds down, then we have to take and look and be prudent uh, of, of the money that we're spending. So, uh, But we'll be here as long as it takes to get people hopefully back on their feet now we're here to jump start their recovery okay. and and get them back uh, moving toward some semblance of normalcy uh, so that they can uh, continue with their lives i recall in katrina a large number of uh, of, of trailers of temporary housing uh, was provided because folks didn't have have a home is that right. something you, you guys will be doing in this case that is something that us, the FEMA as well as the state is looking at. What that's going to be at this point in time, uh, we we can't tell you. Uh, the any time we start bringing in temporary housing, it, uh, it it's a long process, yeah. and uh, it's not something that happens overnight because obviously we've got to have power, water, uh, sewer in order to bring any facilities like that in. So our first goal is to look and is there any rental property around yeah. to put survivors in? That's our first goal to keep them in their community. Uh, we realize that people don't want to drive twenty miles and get their kids away from their schools and everything else. So uh, we're doing everything we can to to look at that. Yeah. So I assume you've seen uh, other scenes of disasters uh, in in your career at FEMA. How would you rate this one? Well, any time you have a disaster, uh, it affects people in different ways. Something that's uh, minor to you and I may be very consequential to somebody else. So. Um, we don't look at it from, you know, how, how does this one compare to something else? Because all of them are devastating sure. to the people that it affects. Yeah. Really incredible situation. And uh, FEMA, of course, no stranger to Mississippi. We've had our share of uh, natural disasters in the area. Yes. Um, this is, I think, the third one that I've worked in Mississippi in my years with FEMA. Wow. Um, so I worked the tornadoes up in the northern part of the state uh, years ago, and then the last individual assistance declaration was with the flooding up yeah, in the flood. Delta. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, but, you know, we're, we're doing everything we can. We have already put out over $2 million in assistance, direct assistance to survivors, whether it be a, ho- whether it be a homeowner or a renter. And uh, and over three thousand families or households have registered for assistance with mm. us. So uh, we're we're working uh, diligently to try and uh, get them the funding or the money that they need to to start recovering. What about coordinating with uh, Mississippi agencies such as MEMA? 
We well, I'm working right out of there, EOC over okay. in Pearl, as our most of our staff is, and then we have people out in the field that are working every day. Our DSA teams, uh, the media relations specialists that work with me, um, SBA, um, all of them are out there uh, working every day. Yeah. Uh, law enforcement as well. Does does FEMA uh, coordinate with them and and private sector uh, well, or charitable organizations? We have uh, within FEMA within our external affairs office. We do have private sector people that will interact okay. with those private sector companies to find out uh, to try and reach their employees uh, or how we can assist them in getting information out to their employees. Uh, so we we interact with all of those agencies, and um, you know, hopefully we can help. Uh, even if it's a little bit, it's uh, we're we're really trying to hard. Is there uh, s- sort of a, a a pecking order, a, a list of prioritized tasks that FEMA follows in these situations? Well, first of all, we work for the state. We're, we're here to support the state. Okay. So uh, between the state leadership and our leadership, they set those priorities in, in how things are going to operate. And so uh, our first goal, obviously, is to get people registered. And uh, anybody that has has sustained damages from the tornado in these six counties that have been de- declared, uh, you know, then we strongly encourage you to, to apply. Uh, and the other thing is, is that please stay in touch because uh, what you tell us when you register dictates what that household may be eligible for in assistance. And so stay in touch. If, you're, if your situation changes, then stay in touch with us so that we can continue to uh, help you. Mike, appreciate the update. Thanks for, uh, for being here, and thanks for the federal government coming to Mississippi in our time of need. Appreciate that. We appreciate the offer to be here. And we're here, and, and we'll be glad to come back anytime you want us. Mike Wade with FEMA has been our guest on Middays. We're stepping aside for a break. We're coming right back. Don't forget Gordon Fellows at 1105. Bye. Listening to Middays with Gerard. Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk, Mississippi. in the Element Well Studios. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. The Dow presently up 200 points. The NASDAQ is in the red at present, down 109 points. The big news on Wall Street, 
is them old Saudis say we're going to cut oil production. It's like the president handed the Saudis the bullets with which to shoot us, figuratively speaking here. Because a decrease in oil production by the Saudis equals the price of crude climbing, and it's up $4.79 today to $80 a barrel. Goldman Sachs says, buy it now, by the way. They say it's low, that the price is depressed. They believe it's headed to over $90 by the summer. Just in time for the summer vacation and driving season, folks, the average price of gas in these United States expected to climb to $5 a gallon. That typically translates to about 4 bucks a gallon here in the great state of Mississippi. So once again, we have a situation where this president is beholden to the radical left of greenies and simply will not take action as necessary to unleash the American energy sector. Here we are, rather than being energy independent, relying on the output of Saudi Arabia and the OPEC block, and it will affect our pocketbook. Yet, guarantee you, he, his press secretary, and others will continue to blast this narrative that they have produced this thriving, robust economy. And you're to believe it. Yet, your pocketbook doesn't reflect it. So, this is not good news on the inflation front. Certainly, top-line inflation, which includes the cost of food and energy. The whole calculation of the CPI is kind of a joke, honestly. You've got so-called core inflation, which excludes something we all got to have, which is energy and food. And the reason is, the theory behind that is that those are very volatile. Price of gas, price of energy, electricity, food, etc., Extremely volatile. Therefore, it's not necessarily a good measure of trends because it's very short-lived. But in this case, we knew it. So this is why the Republicans in the House entitled their bill, which would, in fact, take action to unleash the American energy sector, is H.R. 1, which Chuck Schumer said... H.R. 1 is dead on arrival in the Senate. Looking down, as he always does, through those bifocals and that rather smug (laughs) and pompous facial expression. Dead on arrival, he says. So, in other words, no, we cannot allow the American energy sector to do what it does, which is produce energy. Can't do that. And so you've just got to deal with that higher cost of living facilitated by the increased price of energy. And they're proud of it. They never think about, again, 
increasing supply. In other words, getting government the heck out of the way, reducing regulations, reducing taxes to allow the private sector to produce more. That's what tames inflation. No, can't do that. And when they always talk about how they are reducing costs for hardworking American families, it's always in the form of just handing checks out. That's their idea. They're not really addressing inflation. There's no addressing of inflation, no provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act that address inflation, where you've got excess demand over supply causing the price of goods and services to rise. Nothing in there. No, it's just, here's some money to offset it. Go buy yourself an $80,000 EV. Here's seven grand to offset that. Buy yourself a electric water heater and stove. Here's some money for that. That's their idea of offsetting inflation. Here's you a big old check for child care. Here's a big check for child a child tax credit. That's not fighting inflation. That's just handing money out. Money that How somebody come I can't else... get this fire under control. I keep pouring gas on it. <laughs> That's a great analogy, and it's so true. Keith Invaden on the ceasefire text line says, Come on, Gerard, can't believe you haven't said anything about Rolling Stone. I'm sorry, Fork. I know there's so much to get to today, Keith. Uh, we may even have some sound on it. I think everybody's heard it by now, honestly. But the president goes to Rolling Fork, Mississippi, and in the classic totally predictable style of the gaffe machine, Joe Biden, he misnames the name of the town. The town of Rolling Stone will be back, and we'll be with you every step of the way. And I, did I, what did I say? I, I didn't, I said, Rolling Fork, Rolling Stone. I got my mind going here. You know, I, it just kind of rolls off my back, honestly. So over that, um, it's just sad. I am more concerned about the good people of Mississippi affected by these storms, and I'm glad to see FEMA on the ground. I know many people, many organizations, private sector as well, heard lots of reports. We talked about this last week. Private sector's got to step up. Step up. Don't wait for government. And many have, and I'm proud of them. I'm grateful to them. Um, and there, of course, lots of uh, not-for-profits involved as well. And then, of course, government. So it, it appears to be a very well-orchestrated collaborative effort at this point to restore the area to livable conditions. And we... Uh, we're grateful for that, but this is going to take a while, and that's what we got to keep in mind. This is going to take a while. It's already there, – there's so much that happens. It's already starting to lose some of its focus, just like the the uh, the killing of six innocent people in a Christian school in Nashville. It just rolls off the headlines so fast. 
the Trump indictment just consumed the media. Did it not, Rhino, for about 48 hours? Their stomach's still going. And you know, tomorrow, the arraignment, that's all you're going to hear. All you're going to hear. And I'm not saying it's not big news. I'm just saying that it's it's the nature, I think, of our news in society today. Is that we just roll from one headline to another. And huge events like the tornadoes here, the killings in Nashville, you just fall out of the headlines in a hurry. And we need to keep, keep them on the forefront. These are terrible situations that a lot of healing, a lot of recovery, a lot of, uh, a lot of issues still surrounding those. Uh, but, yeah, no doubt about it. Moe says, Gerard gas prices are just a small part of inflation. Check out the projected diesel supply and prices. That affects everything you buy. Yes, I totally agree, Moe's. And I wasn't trying just to focus in on the price of gas uh, as a consequence of Saudi Arabia cutting production. I would argue, though, that's where most people see it. It's it's so visible because you ride down the road and every gas station's got signage showing the price, and people pay attention to that. I mean, I'd certainly do. You pay attention. Is it up or down today? And kind of as a gauge. No, I don't think it's the end of the dollar, Jerry. I, I've seen all this. Um, I've seen all these predictions. No, not even close. Not even close. We we gotta we gotta get back. In if the, the dollar could survive, what a decade, decade and a half ago of the euro being more valuable, yeah, this is nothing. Yeah, and I know that there some of these countries like Brazil and China are, but their currencies are well. First, China lies about theirs, and Brazil's is worth like nothing because it's just a terrible economy. So, it, it, idle threats, in my view, won't really affect this country or the dollar. Coming right back with a little bit more here in the Element Well Studios and then Gordon Fellows at 11.05. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. The Trogs bumping us into this segment here. All you can think about is Major League when you hear that, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) How great was that? We need to pass on as well really good work by the state troopers, Mississippi Highway Patrol, one in particular, Master Sergeant Charles Lamb. He encountered an out-of-state couple who were involved in an accident on Highway 61 in Washington County on Saturday. And they were informed that it would be Monday before they could rent a vehicle to continue their travels. So Master Sergeant Lamb allowed the couple to use his personal truck until a rental was available. Wow. That is 
Mississippi hospitality at its finest right there. Extended by one of Mississippi's finest, Mississippi Highway Patrol Master Sergeant Charles Lamb. Thank you, Master Sergeant Lamb. You represent Mississippi well, sir. I don't know if you've seen it. There's a photo of it. He escorted him in his in his uh, state trooper official vehicle. But thank you. Thank you. All right, so, so much else going on. Um, Coding Solutions LLC sent a photo, and I, we had talked about the tornadoes that uh, went through, went through it south Tupelo, right, Rhino? Not far, I'm told, from our radio station up there. Correct. This photo, I just wonder if this is Cooper Tire, because I understand it sustained pretty serious damage, the Cooper Tire. That it, is that a distribution facility or a factory there? Do they make tires or just distribute them? I want to say they make them. I think so, too. And so I'm not sure, and I've asked the question. I haven't seen it yet. But that I've seen other photos of folks, uh, friends in Tupelo, that shared photos of the, of the scene. It looked pretty serious to me. It looked devastated, honestly, as in direct hit. Um. I get to do the cross veils during Easter season, and it gives me the greatest feeling, says Rhett in Ridgeland. Really special moments of solitude and reflection. Good for you, Rhett. I agree, and it, and it is a time for that. It is a very solemn week, indeed. Morning, men, on the ceasefire text line. Shouldn't American Indians get reparations before African Americans? Well, I don't think anybody should get reparations. And haven't we done that to a great extent to American Indians? I mean, there's been... I think the latest thing regarding Native Americans versus the federal government was the admission by the federal government that half of Oklahoma belongs to the Native Americans. Okay. That per treaty. So now they're having to negotiate how it's going to work out oh, because wow. I'm pretty sure Oklahoma City sits within that half. Well, uh, right. And Oklahoma, of course, was heavily inhabited, right, by numerous tribes. I mean, Especially after the Trail of Tears. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, you know, there there has been some special concessions legally made and uh, land provided, et cetera, assistance, aid. Uh, so now, the quality of the land can be called into question. But. Of course. But, but reparations, my point is reparations come in many forms. It's not just necessarily checks. Right. Issued. And that's the problem with monetary reparations is it's incredibly difficult to put an actual number on it that isn't entirely subjective. Yeah, makes sense. Thomas and Greenwood says, I saw that wreck. It was between Arcola and Hollandale. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I don't know how bad it was. The, the two individuals shown in the photo of Master Sergeant Lamb assisting them, they physically look fine. So glad for that. Thomas and Greenwood also says, did you see where Japan broke the agreement and is buying Russian gas and oil? I did, and that's not uh, unexpected. 
honestly. And, and again, I say that this is all a function of Joe Biden being in office and his policies. He is uh, he, he's created this environment, this chaos in the in the petroleum industry, in the oil industry that's unnecessary. But he's just a totally obstinate, intransigent, and is again being pulled by the radical left of his party. But honestly, they're not happy. They say he hadn't done enough. Enough. Well, there's also nuance to Japan in this situation. It's not like they're buddy-buddy with Russia. They've bought oil, but they've also banned the export of steel, aluminum, Ah. drones, aircraft components, electrical equipment. Makes sense. Makes sense. Just looking for for fuel, energy. Well, they went to Canada asking for help, and Trudeau said, get lost. Of course. Idiot as well. We're stepping aside for a break. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News. Gordon Fellows with the Mississippi Bankers Association next. Get ready. Get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of middays, kicking off a brand new week here in the Element Wealth Studios. We appreciate you being with us today. And joining us now, Gordon Fellows, president of the Mississippi Bankers Association. Gordon, thanks for coming on. How are you doing today, sir? Gerard, I'm good. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Yes, sir. So, wow, a lot has uh, occurred in uh, your industry the last uh, few weeks, for sure. But we wanted to talk to you specifically about a uh, a final rule issued by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And this is a rule that I believe is several years in the making Right. Emanates from Dodd Frank, uh, correct? So you got a, a final rule in the uh, ICBA, the Independent Community Bankers of America, aren't too happy about this rule. So tell us what's going on here. Yeah, well, you're right. It is a Dodd Frank rule, and it's, it's kind of mind blowing to think that um, a, you know a bill that was passed over a decade ago is still being implemented by federal <laughs> agencies. But there are several pieces of Dodd Frank. Um, that are yet to be um, enacted. This is this is this is one of the the more challenging and complicated parts of it. Um, but so the small business data collection rule is um, created by Section 1071 of Dodd Frank. So it's called the Section 1071 rule. That's that's the most technical thing I'll say. So, um, but it it, it is a um, it, the Obama administration recognized that this would be very complicated, uh, and so they were unable to do it. Um, and, um, the Trump administration sort of realized that it would be probably really potentially negative, uh, to a small business growth. And so they sort of, uh, intentionally, um, I wouldn't use the term ignored it, but kind of, uh, did not make it a high priority. Um, then they were sued by, uh, some, some groups out of California to implement the rule. Uh, and, and then after, uh, the election and the Trump administration transitioned to the Biden administration, 
um, the the plaintiffs in that case and uh, and the new director of the CFPB um, agreed to uh, April first of this year um, enactment period. So um, so the rule was announced late last week ahead of that enactment period um, as per the the litigation agreement. Um, so so complicated path to get here, right? I mean. Yeah. When, when, when you're talking about litigation to determine if, when a rule is going to be published, right, it, it's clearly not a simple and easy thing. And we've issued comments on this um, for years. Uh, we've talked to our congressional delegation about it for years and, and federal regulators. And, and sort of the net net is going to be um, as it gets implemented, and there's a there's a implementation period through 2024, and the implementation is staggered depending on the size of the lender and how many business loans the lender makes. But but anybody that makes small business loans, whether it's a bank or, or a non-bank lender, uh, once they pass those thresholds, is going to be subject to, to gathering data from borrowers um, uh, on, on business credits. That's sort of akin to what happens on mortgage loans right now, right? So it's not supposed to be identifiable. Uh, right now there's a, there's a law called the Home Mortgage Disclosure Act, or HUMDA, um, and mortgage lenders that are of a certain size of originations have to gather and report data. And it's, it's, they're mindful, right? Uh, the, the, the rules are mindful to not report, uh, personally identifiable data. So it, it's trend data more than personal identification data. But we're really worried in this, this section 1071 rule, this small business data collection rule that, um, the, 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 the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau went way beyond the statutory requirement data fields, right? So, so Dodd-Frank said they got to collect a certain amount of data, and then the Biden administration added in additional data beyond what the statute requires. So what's and the rationale worried. for that, though, Gordon? I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, I, I don't understand what that has to do with a financial institution determining the credit worthiness of a potential borrower. Isn't that what the primary goal should be when you loan money? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think that question is a really good one. And then I also think what are the privacy implications right. for, for, for the business borrowers is also really important here, right? Because if you're, if you're a small business in a small rural community, um, there may only be one or two Right, you know, people that provide the service, you provide that rural community, and then all of a sudden, you know, data gathered about you um, in that small community, you know, depending on what your NAICS code is or could be, you know, could be really problematic, right? For from a from a business intelligence point of view, so so there, there, your your question is a really good one, and I think I think the rule is going to cause problems along those lines. I also, think the privacy issues are a real big one, um, and. Um, it's uh you know these are all points that we made um, during the uh, the regulatory process. In fact, a, a group of bankers that met with the um, the CFPB director uh, in September, and all we talked about for an hour was this rule and all the potential problems it could cause. I just I don't think it was written from the perspective of rural America. Right. right. Uh, I think right. it was written from an urban perspective, and um, it's unfortunate that um, that that. They didn't listen to some more of the the rural concerns that, that we um, that we raised. Now, now that being said, right, the rule was issued on Thursday and it's hundreds of pages long, and so we're all still digesting it. Um, but but the sort of top line takeaway is that it, um, they didn't make a lot of the recommendations that rural banks suggested, and that that's problematic. I think so. So 
I appreciate you bringing it up. I think it's important for for business owners in Mississippi to know, um, you know, over the course of the next 18 months, you're going to start being asked questions by your lender that you haven't been asked before. And it's not because the lender is nosy. It's because the lender is now required to ask those questions. And so you may want to start talking to your banks, you know, now um, about about what that is going to entail. Again, the banks are you know just starting to digest the final rule because it just came out Thursday. Um, but, um, uh, it's certainly something business owners in Mississippi need to be aware of because it's going to, it's going to change the process by which, you know, business credit is extended. And, uh, that's always confusing in the beginning. So, um, you know, and then I ultimately, I mean, there's no pending court action on this yet, but there is significant court action pending on the constitutional structure of the CFPB. And that could impact this. You know, at some point, I don't know. We'll have to sort of see where the courts take all that. But um, it, it, it's, a, it, it's a potential sort of change event for small businesses in Mississippi, and I want to make sure business owners are, are well aware of it. And in the statement, uh, Gordon, I read from ICBA, this is kind of bizarre. It looks like it takes effect uh, October of 24, and the threshold in terms of banks that it, it would apply to based on the number of loans made by a bank in a year uh, actually declines, phases out over time, starting at 2,500 loans in 24 uh, and then down to 126. I can't believe there's any banks that even exist that make a fewer than 100. Yeah, I think that's the point was to pull every lender they could into it. I mean, I don't think they're... Don't think the uh, they, they wanted to give a uh, I think they wanted to give an exemption in name uh, for small lenders, but not in practice. Wow. Um, and, and farm loans are included as business loans, and so small rural banks in the Mississippi Delta, you know, they all make a hundred loans if you, yeah. if you think of business and, and farm loans together. So um, it is it, it's going to be really complicated, and it's important for um, businesses to know this is coming, and it's also. You know, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau is a relatively new agency. It was created by Dodd-Frank, right? It's Elizabeth Warren's brainchild, right? Um, so this is not um, its not a long-standing federal agency that a lot of people are familiar with, like the U.S. Treasury, right? So right. you walk into your bank and they, they say, well, I've got this new CFPB rule that we have to adhere to, so we got to ask you these questions. A lot of a lot of people are going to be well. What's the CFPB? So I, you know, it, it is it's a legitimate agency, and it, it's, they they set a lot of rules, and um, you know um, we have to live by them, and that's sort of the uh, the consequence of uh, of uh, you know when when Congress passes legislation that empowers agencies to do a lot of stuff. Um, this is this is what you get. So, Unbelievable. Um, and yep. and uh, uh, we got just about a minute or so left, but this has got to be awkward and uncomfortable for the bankers as well, Gordon. Absolutely. You know, community banking, the relationship business model that we have in Mississippi is built on trust and relationship. And so when, when you have to start asking questions beyond creditworthiness, yeah. um, that, 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 that's not anything that we want to do, right? In fact, we've been saying it for years really almost a decade now, this this rule is going to cause us problems operationally, mm. and it's going to be bad for small businesses So, mm. um, in, in rural markets. So so make it easy on us and exempt rural lenders. Um, and, and recognize, Bureau, that rural markets are different than urban markets, and they need to be treated differently. But the Bureau kind of 
ignored those recommendations. Gordon, appreciate you joining us. I got a final statement I'll make. I feel like this is another situation where an agency has gone rogue and has exceeded really the intent of the original law. That's why it took them 10 years to implement it. No That's doubt right. about it. I think you're, you think you're, you're dead on. Gordon, appreciate you joining us, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about this more. Thanks, sir. Yep, good to talk to you. Thank you, Gerard. We'll be right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's go. in the Element Wealth Studios. It is a middays. So, I'm picking uh, Rory McIlroy. It's my pick to win it. The Masters. I don't think Vijay Singh can pull it off. No, <laughs> don't think he's going to pull it off. No, sir. <laughs> Do not. Uh, that's who I'm picking. Dang it. We shall see. Should be... Um, entertaining, I hope, an entertaining tournament. Well, the other question from someone that doesn't pay attention to golf probably would be the first question above VJ Singh. Yeah. Will Tiger be there? Yeah, I think he's scheduled to participate. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. He's so in. the ratings will be good. Yeah. Pretty uh, much any t- anytime Tiger shows up, the ratings are much better than if he's not there. No doubt. The question is, can he make the cut? So will he be playing on... Saturday and Sunday. That's the big deal. We shall see indeed. Ought to be fun. Ought to be a spectacle. CC in Sanatobia says, nice job there, Joe. People actually think you've done a job that is worse than failing. So to completely fail would be a step up from the job you've done. That's because a report was just released where Americans uh, grade the president's performance on a scale of A to F, and they said lower than F. That is from people in the nation's capital, walking in the nation's capital, just walking around. However, they did uh, talk to one person who's in the nation's capital, from Delaware, Joe's home state. I always get confused. Is he from Delaware or Scranton? <laughs> but um, he was a senator from Delaware, of course. He gave him an A. He gave him an A. This guy gave him an A. Unbelievable. And then another said, uh, he's inherited a terrible situation. He's we- Oh, this is the same person that gave him an A. He's weaved through it quite well. <laughs> How do you say that with a straight face? <laughs> a DC woman disagreed and gave the president a B minus. B minus. 
How about that? I think economically he has worked hard to limit the inflation, she said. Huh? Limit? He caused it. He produced it. How can they be that clueless? Well, they are working in D.C. <laughs> also, I think you can start to see the impact of the construction work and infrastructure investments. Huh? What the heck? Oh, gosh. However, Bill of Tennessee, another walker in the nation's capital that was approached by this reporter, says everything he touches goes wrong. <laughs> he gave him an F. Emily from Alabama gave Biden a D plus. D plus. What is that? I just feel like a lot of the promises he's he's made he hasn't fulfilled. Well, what were those promises? See, that's just it. Everybody, rightfully so, wants to refer back to, harken back to promises made by candidates, especially presidential candidates. By the way, interrupting that thought, I'm watching on the screen live shots of the president, uh, former president Trump's motorcade in West Palm Beach, Florida, headed to the airport. And it is quite a large motorcade. Now, I'm a little surprised Rhino watching on this two-way street, four-lane boulevard-type street that the traffic isn't closed, the uh, oncoming traffic in the other lane. A little surprised. I thought they usually close that down. Maybe that's just for a current president, not for a a former. And the, and the streets, by the way, I'm seeing now, lined with lots of people hoisting Trump flags and waving at the president, showing their support. Yeah, quite a few, honestly. He's headed to the airport. I, I shared with Rhino over the break. Also saw in, uh, a live shot of the airport with a big Trump plane. What does he have? A 767, I think, that's uh, parked out there on the tarmac waking, waiting to fly the former president. 757. 57, okay. Wait, uh, I mean, 757, 767 is your personal aircraft. <laughs> You're splitting hairs, right? He's headed to New York for his arraignment. Also saw a, a schedule, by the way, of the, the events concerning the arraignment. Let me share that with you if I can uh, take a look. Okay, 11. He's to arrive at, the, at 11 a.m. tomorrow, arrive at the courthouse in lower Manhattan. 1 p.m. expected closures of parts of the courthouse. 2.15 arraignment. 2.15 p.m. tomorrow afternoon, that would be Eastern Daylight Time in New York, at the court in New York, and then arraignment completed by 2.30, 15 minutes. It's a short process. And again, the president announced that he will address the nation, some forum tomorrow night, regarding his arraignment. Boy, that's going to be heavily watched. you got to believe. Honestly, I'm thinking that this is positioning the president in the old driver's seat to win the nomination. It's the exact opposite of what they want. 
Now, maybe they're so obsessed with this idea of having a mugshot of him. He's not going to be handcuffed. We've learned that. He's essentially being escorted into custody, if you will, of the Secret Service, coordinating with law enforcement there in New York. Mayor Eric Adams of the Big Apple, New York City, has come out and said, let's be careful tomorrow, something to that effect, uh, warning against any sort of uh, violence or disruption, gives a, uh, a warning on that front. The New York Police Department also has provided updates on security they expect to deploy for the arraignment tomorrow. You know it's going to be a dang circus. There's no two ways about it. On the C Spire text line, Someone asked, uh, I'm looking for it here, about uh, whether or not this is some of that woke stuff in the in the banking sector, based on the uh, interview we just had with uh, Gordon Fellows. I'm looking for it, Rhino, who was that that said something to us about that. We'll keep looking. But... Yeah, there, no doubt. Yeah, it was Paul in Meridian. Just okay. got back in my truck. Is this the new equity and equality requirements that you were talking about? It, it is, Paul. It, it, thank you, uh, sir. So uh, apologize. It took me a while to find that. Thank you, Rhino. So, yeah, we, we did discuss that, that the day was was elected. I mean, one of the early executive orders was that climate change and uh, equity um, would be embedded in all policy making at the agency level. So you can't really push that stuff through the Congress because it requires 60 votes in the Senate. Can't get that through. So they just do it at the agency level. They just essentially ignore the Congress, and it's these deep state agencies that run the dang country. That's exactly what is going on here with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, as Gordon pointed out, 10 years in the making to promulgate these rules. And I share with Rhino that one rule that looks like did not get through, but that they wanted, talking about the the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, would have required loan officers to guess the race or ethnicity of small business credit applicants based on their last name and physical appearance and record that in the application so they can come back and essentially tell these banks that they're discriminating based on race and ethnicity, not credit worthiness. Again, the march to mediocrity on full display here. Yes, Paul, that is precisely what it is. Any sort of logic, common sense standards in loaning money, out the window. All about equity. All about what you look like. Your physical appearance. They even say it, what we've said on the show now, where outcomes are based on physical traits, based on what you are, not who you are. Whether or not, I don't know, you can actually pay the loan back. Might be important. We're coming right back. Half an hour left on middays. We're watching the Trump motorcade headed up to uh, New York here later today. Stay with us. 
Mississippi. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. to midday super talk mississippi so here in the state of mississippi first that legislature was down there until about two o'clock in the morning saturday morning when they finally signed he died went into late into the night on the last day to finalize the budget and uh then they hit the gavel and said we're out of here Wrapped it up. Uh, it's a $7.6 billion budget, largest in state's history. Well, it's it's actually less than the budget last year, but when you exclude all the big COVID money, we had a billion and a half last year. It tops last year's. Uh, it's larger than last year's record budget. So it makes it the largest state contribution in Mississippi history. The bill that would have changed how the MAEP formula works and would have fully funded it, that uh, did not get past the House. Um, but lawmakers did appropriate an additional uh hundred and million something dollars hundred twenty yeah roughly hundred twenty million dollars to education so the total budget next year for education the the biggest line item in our budget two point four billion still about a hundred and sixty million less than the total MAEP formula, but it's still a whole bunch of money. Rural hospitals, that's another big topic, of course, during the session. They got really just a Band-Aid, honestly. I'm not sure what this is expected to accomplish other than, I think, just prolong the inevitable. They got a $104 million grant program, direct grants to hospitals, and that's in exchange for their participation in an information collection and sharing program that could be useful in crafting future health care legislation. No serious discussion, really, of expanding Medicaid uh, under the Affordable Care Act. That would add a coverage group, that being able-bodied adults whose incomes are, be- are between 100% of the federal poverty level and 138%. What you got? You looking at something there? Okay. I thought you were going to uh, straighten me out on something. I think so far, you agree? That's Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. 
uh, 18.5 million bucks appropriated for tornado relief to the devastated towns such as Rolling Fork and Amory. Seven million dollars for the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency (MEMA) uh, and uh, for assistance there. So we did not. Let's see what we didn't get. We didn't get any tax reform, and we did not get a ballot initiative bill. Couldn't get that through. We rejected the nominee for superintendent of education, and we didn't fill out that final board seat for the Department of Education, the State Board of Education, the SBE. We didn't address PERS. So, I don't know, Rhino. I, I grade this as kind of a a session that just didn't get a lot done, it doesn't feel like. I felt like last year we got a lot done, and it could be because it's an election year. Uh, the biggest bill, the most controversial bill, the highest profile bill, I would argue, is 1020. That's the bill, of course, that would increase the state's purview over the capital city of Jackson from a judicial and policing perspective. It, it did go through some amendments, some, some uh, not surprising, some modifications from its original form introduced in the House by um, Representative Trey Lamar. But uh, the Democrats have said that they will take legal action on this deal. The state won't help Jackson because they're racist. Right. And the state steps in, tries to help. The state's helping Jackson because it's racist. Because you just feel like what they want the state to do is just write a check. So here, Mayor Lamumba, and then he just distributes it as he sees fit. That's what's been going on because, once again, I'm going to pound on this until the legislature fixes it. Two things about our procurement system. First, we have these no-bid personal services statutes have been around for decades that allow the awarding of certain services by public sector entities without competitive bidding. I totally oppose that and think taxpayers are being fleeced, have been for decades. Second is some public sector entities, such as the city of Jackson, in their bidding process, consider minority participation, sometimes reject proposals, offers, that don't include minority participation. And they will, in fact, it works out such such that in many situations, the city pays a premium to vendors for minority participation or minority vendors to fulfill certain needs uh, procurement needs by the city. I would like to see the legislature eliminate, pro, I should say prohibit, that practice. Well, didn't they pass a bill mandating that Jackson send in monthly reports for how they're spending the 1% tax increase that's supposed to have been going to infrastructure this entire time? I think that's true. And that was enacted years ago, right? So, yeah. What, that was what Lumumba campaigned on. Right. So what's the outcome of, of that? Things. 
I want to say it passed the legislature. Okay. So the city of Jackson will have to file monthly reports with the state showing how they're actually using that 1% tax increase that was earmarked for infrastructure. Because to the naked eye, it's not visible that there's been any improvements. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I think any clear-eyed person would have to agree with that assertion. So the Jackson officials, of course, they spoke out. And shortly after that, we had this big debacle. I'm talking about after the bill passed. We had this big debacle with a trash deal, right? Still can't figure that out. We don't have a we don't have a garbage collector. As of Saturday, yeah, in the city of Jackson, it's a it's a dysfunctional capital city at a minimum that I believe impacts all of us. Well, it's because the mayor thinks he has more power than he does. He thinks he can veto a no vote. He thinks he can show up at the 11th hour with only one proposal and strong arm the city council into voting for what he wants. Yeah. The city council's already proven time and time again, no, they're sick of his crap. So we have a really dilapidated infrastructure, and that's, I think, putting it nicely. Um, unreliable water supply. Rampant crime, exodus of business from the city. Potholes bigger than a Tokyo apartment. Right. But uh, what what's their plan? So that's just it. To cry racism and beg for money. Well, that don't feed the bulldog, as they say. That's not solving any problems. But it's the only solution they have. Well... I think I represent the views of most rational people that I'm sick of that crap. You simply cannot cry racism and attribute every problem and issue to that. Because it's first not true. And secondly, it doesn't provide a framework for fixing the problems, any problems. We may be about out of time here today, but we got... A bit of sound here from Joe Biden about this equity deal we were just talking about. Uh, maybe we can catch that in the next segment. It's, it's pretty short. By the way, tomorrow we're going to be in West Point all day, the Super Talk team at the Sally Kate Winters Family Services location. Join us for that tomorrow. Starts at 6 a.m. and ends at 6 p.m. as we promote Child Abuse Awareness Month. You'll hear stories throughout the day about the organization and make donations that make a difference in the lives of children that need their services. Going to be in West Point, Mississippi tomorrow. The Gallo Show, uh, Middays, Sports Talk. Who else we got up there? Is that it? Rebecca? She's not going to be up there tomorrow. Yeah, I didn't think so. But we're going to be there 6 to 6, that's for sure. We're coming right back with the final segment, Super Talk Outdoors with Ricky Matthews, coming up at 12.05. Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. 3, 2, 1. On Super Talk Mississippi. Derek 
taking Greenwood on the ceasefire tax line. Now y'all are being racist because y'all are speaking truth and spinning it laugh out loud. And I, I hope, I sincerely hope that our statements there, I mean, mainly me, I guess, are, are not received and construed as, as racist. I'm just trying to point out uh, just the shakedown, honestly, the hoax that I think it is. That's not to say, and I certainly am not trying to assert that racism doesn't exist. What I am saying, however, is that you simply cannot describe and attribute every single problem in society to racism. That's all I'm saying. It, it loses its credibility. And I would ask this, with all the money, with all the assets, with all the resources that have been dedicated across the spectrum of our society, private and public sector, to diversity, equity, and inclusion, what are we getting for that? I think what we got, one thing we got... One heck of an awful cabinet. Okay, for starters. We got a failed bank... I would argue, because if you look at the board and you look at the investments made by that bank, the loans, much of that was based on that whole ESG concept, because it's related. They're related, tightly coupled. Listen to Joe Biden just, what, a couple of days after a transgender killed six innocent people in a Christian school in Nashville. All women deserve to be represented. Moreover, when we advance equality and racial justice and invest in young people, protect the LGBTQ plus uh, individuals, our societies are not only fairer, but they're stronger and more successful. Democracy demands full and equal participation of all, all of our citizens. That's how we unleash the human potential and put ourselves in the strongest possible position to take on the shared challenges. No, democracy does not demand full and equal participation. You're not entitled to anything but what the Constitution grants. And that pretty much could be summed up as, we're going to stay out of your way. With limited regulation, limited government involved, what they want to do and what uh, Joe Biden's done since he's been elected, as you indicated, his cabinet. He essentially engaged, if you think about it, in discrimination because he did it when he named his vice president. It will be a black female. Nobody else is, is even going to be considered. How could that not be construed as discrimination? And what well, we, that's the problem. It was just a short period of time ago in the grand scheme of things. Right. But it turned upside down since then. And that's where we are. So how insensitive is it to be clamoring in that statement there, which uh, was just last week, after the killings? I'm not going to call them shootings. They were killings by a transgender person that obviously targeted a Christian school. Have you also noticed that not one time have he or other Democrats in talking about it mentioned that it was a Christian school, and in my view, rises to the level of being a hate crime. How could it not? How could it not? 
They've not mentioned that. Oh, but there's no war on Christianity. Instead, they turned immediately to guns as the culprit, as the root cause. Immediately to that. I just saw the uh, the aircraft, Donald Trump's 757, been watching it live here in the studio. It has departed West Palm en route to New York. Gerard, whatever happened to the most qualified person gets the job. Joe has got this country where you can go in some places and other races act as if they don't like you and have never seen you, says Tim and McGee. Well, it's because, Tim, we, we have a government... Uh, government leaders, uh, primarily, if not exclusively, uh, on one side of the aisle, that have pushed that narrative throughout society. And what really bothers me is how they've done it in our schools. And it used to be kind of limited to left-leaning schools, colleges and universities, but now it's filtered, matriculated all the way down to kindergarten. We're thrusting this stuff. I actually sent, I think I sent Rhino uh, a video from the Netherlands. Did I send that to you, Rhino? Maybe not. But it is some sort of children's TV show. And these 12-year-olds, I'll talk about this more tomorrow, are exposed to these transgender people who are naked, no clothes on. And at the end of the deal, the 12-year-old said, well, at first I was a little worried, but you know, they're just normal. Okay, well, uh, that's fine, but why are we doing this to 12-year-olds? What is that all about? We're out of time here today. Thanks so much for joining us. We're just getting wound up, too. Ricky Matthews up next with Super Talk Outdoors. Until tomorrow, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.